This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome to Inside the Monster with Steve Peralt and Joey Capone. Welcome to episode 48 of the official Red Sox podcast, Inside the Monster, presented by Odyssey with myself, Steve Peralt, and Joey Capone. Today, we are joined by Red Sox play-by-play announcer for WEI, Will Fleming. Joey, I'm realizing the way I do these intros, it makes it seem like they're about, right? How do we, how do, we do Yeah, that? I know. I was about to say, Will, take it away. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We today we're about to be joined by. We have an interview for you. It's not playing right now. We're talking about it first. I do, but I gotta say, I do like, I like interview intros. I like a little lead in of like, all right, here's what you can expect. Mm. It was great, yada yada, and then take it away. Yeah, yeah. Know that we're always gonna say he's a good guy. I mean, we're also being honest, but like, yeah. See, that's the thing with Will. It's so easy Mm. to be complimentary about him because he's great. Like it's not I mean, like yeah. I'm not gonna throw out other names, but there are there are other people who are gonna be like, yeah, they're awesome. Like Will's great. Will is very, very, very good at what he does. He's super smooth. He's got the voice. He's got he's got all the tendencies down. He knows when to chime in, when to let the play breathe. Uh, Will's awesome. Looked up to him for a while. He's been doing great work as the play-by-play announcer for what this would be the fourth season, I think. I throw. I it's so funny because you forget mm-hmm. about the 2020 season. You don't really count that. Um, yeah. but he joined messes in, everything in, up. I know it, it just messes up how you look back at the seasons. Uh, but no, he, he joined in 2019. Uh, I guess he got to do a couple of shows in 18, but now we're just going to give away the whole interview. Um, but no, Will was great. He had, we had to debunk a thing on his Wikipedia. So good. That was, that so good. was very funny. That was very, I do. I think first of all, to the whole, like he's a good guy thing. I think he, certainly believes us and i think that the audience believes us because we just bring him up like almost every episode like yeah. hey did you hear will he was awesome on the call man he's a good guy saw him at the park <laughs> gave me a high five uh he, there's no doubt if we're being genuine there uh but yeah because yeah, yeah, you just can't lie for that many episodes after like three or there'd four be no like, reason no i know that they, they would just be unnecessarily excessive at that point it would it would be strange if you we were just bringing up kept saying a lie yeah you know we yeah. just kept bringing up something that was just like not true um, but dude, the, the Wikipedia thing, uh, I was so sure it was real. I never, I never doubted it for whatever reason. I saw it and was like, Oh, that's interesting. I want to hear the backstory there. And instead the backstory was no, that ain't true. Don't Joey, know. Why I'm, that's there. I'm not going to lie. I believed it all the way up until I saw his face when you were asking the question, I was like, Oh no, 
Oh no, this I don't think this is accurate. <laughs> but um he played along well with it. I'll, I'll definitely give him that. But mm. uh without further ado, we should hop right into this. Will Fleming, play-by-play announcer, WEI calls Boston Red Sox games, which is actually this is the Sox podcast. So that is coming up right after this break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All righty. We are now joined by Red Sox play-by-play announcer on WEEI, Will Fleming. We bring up Will probably every episode in a complimentary fashion. Uh, Will is incredible at what he does. He is teamed up there with Joe Castiglione. Will, welcome to Inside the Monster. How are you doing? Hey, thanks so much, guys. I always love listening to you. And uh, those compliments do not go unappreciated. I really, and they mean a lot to me because I know you guys are great baseball people. So uh, thanks for listening. And I, I've been waiting to get on. I'm sorry it's taken a little time, but uh, thrilled to be with you guys. Yeah, we are. We are finally here. Uh, I wanted to lead with this. How tall are you? Because every time we're out there on the field, there's very few people that make me feel like short, <laughs> but you do. How How tall are you? Six, seven. And it's so funny because I, you know, at radio, obviously I'm not seen that often. And people, when they meet me always, they're like, you're the tallest broadcaster in the big leagues. We had no idea how tall and gangly and lanky you are. But uh, yeah, it's, I was a late bloomer. I was like 5'11 going into into my junior year of high school, but uh, kept growing all the way through college. And and here we are. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it gets me every time too. That's the thing. Like I I know we talk a decent amount, but I'm like, damn it. Will is really taller (laughs) than all of us. Yeah. I'm always looking up. I'm like, God damn. Uh, But anyways, so I wanted to jump into this. I, uh, you know, like I mentioned before, Joey and I are are very complimentary of what you do. We think you're honestly the best in the game. I I listen to some of these other broadcasts and I'm like, eh, it's not the same. I think you and Joe have really, you know, found a groove since you've joined there. And I'm curious, though, to take a step back of when you realize, like, yeah, I want to get into this. I want to get into this game because I know for for me personally and and maybe Joey as well, you know, you want to play for the Red Sox. Like, I I wanted to be on the team. And I'm like, oh, damn, looks like that's not going to happen. So you kind of shift your gears a little bit. When did you realize, oh, I could really be good at this and really do this professionally? I guess that probably started in college. But, uh, you know, going all the way back, like I was watching the Field of Dreams game a little bit last night, and it's hard not to get emotional watching those scenes and all those moments because that really is where it all started for me uh, with my brother and and my mom and me and my dad uh, watching baseball games. And whether that was the, the Baltimore Orioles, who were you know the team where, close to where I grew up in Alexandria, Virginia, or 
he and his whole family were St. Louis Cardinals fans. So I remember sitting in the basement watching Ozzie Smith come out, do backflips. And, and just even in that young period of my life, understanding the power of the connection of baseball. And I think for me, that that is sort of where I start uh, everything, every broadcast, every every conversation I have with baseball, because, you know, a lot of us want to get bogged down in numbers and advanced metrics and all this stuff. But I, I really think that it's more uh, of a storytelling medium, but but more than that, it's a connective tissue that bonds friends and dads and moms and brothers and grandparents. And uh, so that's sort of where I, I kind of come at it. You know, I, I was not a very good baseball player. I had some of my great memories as a kid playing. And then all the way through high school, my high school team turned out to be really great. And some of my best friends in the whole world, we won a state championship. And those are memories on the field that I'll never forget. And I, I, that's sort of where my baseball playing days ended. I went out to Stanford and you know, every year I was there, they're the number one team in the country. Uh, and I did a couple College World Series covering them. Um, and, you know, by that time, my brother, who you guys know, uh, does this for the San Francisco Giants and ESPN. He was already with the Pawtucket Red Sox. And so this is the year 2001. Um, and I, I sort of felt like I'd gone to the same school as he had. We both did the same stuff at the college radio station. He was already establishing himself. And I kind of wanted to try something new. Uh, so I took kind of an unconventional path to where we are today. For 10 years, I worked in Silicon Valley and did other things, startups and technology companies. But after a few uh, you know, rodeos in that world, I just realized my heart wasn't in it. Uh, so, so then I, I started the long journey of you know, starting in Lancaster, California for 500 bucks a month doing home games for the Lancaster Jethawks uh, and on to Potomac and Indianapolis and Pawtucket and now obviously to Boston. But uh, I, I wasn't one of these kids who, who grew up thinking, you know, I, I, I'm going to do play by play in the basement and, and, and pretend that I'm, you know, Jack Buck. That just never I wanted to play the game. I loved the game, but I never spent my life thinking this is the only thing that I want to be. So was there a specific time at Stanford where you're like, yeah, I, I can, this can be a path if I want it to be. Were you starting a show or being a part of broadcast? I know you said you were, you were calling some uh, College World Series games, but was there a specific time at Stanford where you either started a show or became part of a show, or was it always just calling games and shows weren't really a thing? I was mostly doing play-by-play. -play. Okay, um, yeah. you know, I started with basketball and baseball, did a little football. I have to be honest with you. I mean, I listened back to my college days. They were horrible. I mean, it's all relative, right? You're, you're yeah, comparing yeah. yourself at that time to, you know, 18, 19-year-old kids. Uh, but then I listened to my early minor league stuff. Same thing. I, I really think that by the time I got to Indianapolis, which is 2012, about my first or second year there, I, for whatever reason, maybe it's the Malcolm Gladwell thing, whatever, uh, I just started to find my own voice. And and I, I I knew I could do it at some level, right? I mean, I was getting these play-by-play -play jobs. People liked what I did. But I think we are all our harshest critics. And when I would compare what I was doing to what I thought was the real good stuff in the big leagues, I just, I wasn't at that level until, you know, probably my fourth year in the minor leagues. I really think more than almost anything else, baseball play-by-play -play is an act of repetition and it's not just to be able to do the like my brother gave me the best advice ever when i started the minor league road he said at the beginning just do the mechanics legitimately just get used to calling balls and strikes and painting the picture right and then you can find your own voice and start to tell stories and weave in your own personality but i thought that was really good advice so the beginning of my career i was just legitimately focused on can you do the the game and let mm. people know what's going on. And then you just start to add layers of yourself onto it. But I, I think it was probably, you know, around 2012, 13, where 
you start to listen back. You, you do a big league inning with the Pirates, and it goes real well. And I, I'll never forget that. You know, we were we were in Detroit, and they asked me to do a game with them, and Max Scherzer was on the mound, and uh, and that's the tape that got me the Pawtucket job. And, and just listening more and more, you start to think to yourself, all right, you know, you, you've, you've made some gains here, uh, and maybe this is something that, that can be a real thing. So uh, also with your time at Stanford, you, on your Wikipedia, first of all, congratulations on having a Wikipedia. That is, a, <laughs> that, I don't know how that happened. Cool. And oftentimes it is wrong, as you guys can. Imagine. Oh no! Okay, so hopefully this is so, right. This could this is yeah. dangerous, Joey. <laughs> I know. So I it, love it. You are credited with being Stanford's first male cheerleader. <laughs> is definitely that not true? Definitely not true. We gotta, no, we, that didn't sound true. No, look at me. What do you think? I mean, I'm, I guess I'd have to be like the you top could be of hoisting the ladies up. You know, you know, I don't know. Have Have you seen my arms? I mean, come on. Like, I I, I can barely lift my two sons. They're four and eleven months old. So no, the male cheerleading was never part of my portfolio. So somebody Damn just it. put this on here. Yep. I you know I, we all have uh, different kinds of fans, right? <laughs> that is that is funny. All right, we I knew I knew there was risk. I knew there was risk because it's on the Wikipedia. But all right, yeah, it's just completely made up. Then that's too bad. Well, so I'll it also it. says it would be a hell of a story, story, wouldn't it? That's what I'm saying. I'm like, oh, we got to get this story. It's like, oh, it just didn't happen. Damn, got to bring it up. But it, okay, so <laughs> let me know if this one's right. Uh, it says you studied Spanish literature. There is that. Is that true? That is because I yes, I nice. do know that All you're right. bilingual. And I was going to ask you how that came to be. It appears that through college, through studying it and <laughs> getting a major in it. Well, that, in my uh, spare time, I was, when I wasn't cheerleading, I was reading books in Spanish. But, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> it. Uh, I, I actually started doing it in high school. And it was one of these things that just came totally naturally to me for whatever reason. Um, languages have just always been a thing for me. Um, and by the time I was a sophomore in high school, one of my teachers, like it was me and one kid who grew up in Mexico and the teacher doing Spanish in my sophomore year. And she said, we've nominated you for this program, uh, which is basically an immersion thing at a university uh, in, in Virginia. And you're just going to go away for six weeks. Uh, and I did that. And I we didn't say a word of English. We didn't read a word. We didn't listen to music in English. So by the time I was 15 years old, um, I come home from that immersion program and I'm totally fluent in Spanish. And, and that was wow. more just a byproduct of something that, that I liked to do. Uh, that I really enjoyed more than than ever thinking it would be useful to me. And, you know, it's the craziest thing in the world that, as it turns out, you know, Starling Marte comes to Indianapolis. He doesn't speak a word of English. And I introduce him to our fans. And, you know, on down the line it goes. I'm, I'm interviewing Yohan Moncada and Rafi Devers, his first press conference in Pawtucket. I am the translator sitting next to him for 15 reporters. Um, and And just in a totally coincidental way, it has allowed me to build these bonds with with Latin players, especially in the minor leagues, but but even to this day, you know, guys are, are still working through it. You guys know how Rafi is. He's getting closer and closer. But he I is, think yeah. one of the things that's bonded me to him is that he knows that if if he wants to go out on a limb and try it, like I don't think it's a coincidence that his first English interviews are when I'm on with Joe because he trusts us and he knows that if he goes down a road that he can't, you know find the words for I'm going to help him out and he can go back to Spanish. So uh, it's turned out to be this real beautiful thing where um, I enjoyed it all the way through college, but it, now professionally, I, I, it's a real, it, it helps me every single day. So is there, is there surprise on the faces of some of these players where they're oh. like, there, there goes Will <laughs> Fleming fluent in Spanish. 
I was not expecting this six foot seven male cheerleader to be able to speak fluent <laughs> Spanish to me. I cannot tell you the number of times that I just, you know, you walk up to people and like the look of amazement, they just look at me. I don't look like a guy who's going to speak. See, I'll never forget the first time I was on a Red Sox post game show. Uh, and I, I don't remember the player, uh, but it was somebody who, who ne- couldn't speak English and they asked me to translate it. And the, like the people behind the glass, as I like went back and forth between English and Spanish, was like, who is this alien? Uh, we had no idea that he could do this. So, yeah, I, I, it never ceases to amaze so many of these people like that. We did not see that coming. The reaction is always funny because like I each year now at All Star, I'm trying to ask Rafi one question in Spanish. I love that I, but- bit. I practice it for like three weeks. And so <laughs> then, then we go to Cooperstown and some of these dudes from the DR are like, Steve, you're really getting better. I'm like, that doesn't count. That does not count as getting better <laughs> at Spanish when like you read it over and over for like three weeks straight. But that is, I mean, it's a huge tool for you to have. I, I'm, t- I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but it, it really is something that I'm sure you you probably realize like, wow, this has benefited me uh, so much down the road here. But one, one specific thing uh, amongst many that I wanted to get into real quick was, the connection with your brother, and I'm just curious of of your relationship, because um, I think we all have. I have two brothers. A lot of people have that brother relationship where I think it takes time to to become uh, friends. I, I'm sure it varies yeah. from from family to family, but I know with my brothers, it was like okay, had the older one, the younger one, and with the younger one, you're kind of you know beating them up all the time, or at least complaining and arguing. And then you're like, oh, okay, they're actually my brother. I should probably be, be nicer to them. For you and your brother doing very similar jobs now professionally, was it ever competitive or was it more like, I want to pick your brain on this, you pick mine on that type of thing? Yeah, more of the latter for sure. I mean, like you say, Steve, when we were growing up, we were very different kids. I mean, our personalities, our interests, um, and we were separated by three years, which, you know, when he's in high school um, and he's a senior and I'm a freshman, that's a big deal. And so there was not a lot of, hey, bud, we want you to come hang out with us. That that just wasn't part of it. It took until we overlapped for a year at Stanford where we really started to get close. Uh, and then he basically became my best friend. And it had nothing to do uh, with broadcasting or anything professional. Now, I mean, I, first of all, I, it's important to step back. I, I, I Listen, I, I think my brother is as talented as almost anybody in the entire business doing it. I mean, you listen to him do these Major League Baseball games. And then the next day he's doing college football. He's doing the Masters. He's doing huge basketball games. And he does all of them so well. I don't know that there are many people who have the range that he does to do those things so well. Um, and, and you know, I told you the little story about when I started in the minor leagues, his advice to just kind of do the nuts and bolts. It's It's been more like that. You know, I, I it's not like some regular thing where we, you know, chop it up all the time and review tapes and talk, you know, broadcast stuff. I, that happened more as I got my start. You know, because I he was one of the people that I really leaned on, along with the other Giants broadcasters, Dwayne Kuyper and John Miller, were always great to me listening to tape. And 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 there are many people along the way who've done that for me, which is why whenever kids send me stuff, I try to do the same and give real feedback. Because it's so easy for anybody to say, "Oh, you're you're on the way, kid. This is great." No, I, you you want Just real lies. feedback, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. I try to do that too. But you know, nowadays, um, now that I'm a little bit more established. Um, He'll tell me little things, you know, like he'll, he listens. It's so easy for all of us to listen to each other. Um, and here and there he'll, he'll pick up something and it just kind of like a strategy type thing that he'll, he'll tell me. Um, but yeah, I, I just lean on him as more of a resource, uh, when I have questions, be more like, uh, 
plotting a career, right? Like the contractual yeah. side of things. When I am thinking about, uh, you know, other networks or other openings or things like that, he's he's always the first person I call with my agent to say, you know, do you think this would be a good a good path for me? Um, and so I, that that's where I really lean on him. But more than anything, you know, we, he's my second son's godfather. Uh, you know, I, we, we're very close now in so many other ways. Uh, you know, he's his, his nieces who are twins. I was at the hospital the day they were born. They're about to turn 16 years old. Uh, nice. And my nephew is, is about to be 13. So it's just, it's a wild thing to grow in this business, but also, you know, into sort of functioning responsible adults with families and kids uh, and all the things that go with fatherhood and, and being a husband and all that. So he's somebody I emulate and look up to every single day. And, uh, you know, not many people can have that as a resource as, 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 on speed dial like I do. Yeah, that's awesome. I You mentioned you called games for the Paw Sox. What, what was that like in comparison to the major, besides the, the obvious? Like what's, what are... Uh, how how different is it? I guess how different. Whoop, lost him. You know, I, whoop. Oh, we lost you for a second. I think you're good. There you are. Well, you can edit that part out, or yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, we're good. Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Well, I, you know, Joey, I think the one thing that I that was we all know the reputation of the Pawtucket Red Sox, and I mean, this has been this amazing pipeline of broadcasters making it to the major leagues, and so. It was from the moment I sat there in that booth and in that chair, because I'd, I'd applied to it two or three times and, and only got it my third time. I, I understood the weight of it, what it what it probably meant for my career, because legitimately it has been a golden ticket for baseball broadcasters. I mean, it, it's people think of it as the, you know, the waiting room for the big leagues. And once you get there, you're you're on your way. Uh, and, and so I think the the. The difference, obviously, is that you're on bus rides to Buffalo and Scranton and Syracuse and Rochester and and uh, not making any money. And you're you know, you're getting into bad hotels at 4 a.m. Um, and doing overnight bus rides all the time. So that's the, the number one difference. Is there's nobody in the stands. And, and oftentimes in September, there's 200 people there and it's 35 degrees. Um, but having said that, I always once I got there, felt a change within me where um, I think it's probably because you know, unlike other places that you're you're broadcasting, it's almost a guarantee that on any given night somebody is listening. And and by somebody, I mean somebody who's thinking we're going to have an opening coming up. And I keep hearing from people that this place is the is the is absolutely where you want to go because they keep pumping out all these broadcasters. And and that was, I think, that kept me going. In, in the minor leagues. And it, it once I got to Pawtucket, the games were easy to stay focused on and to, you know, be locked in. Even if you're, you know, uh, in Durham in front of 400 people on an 11 o'clock and it's screaming kids and you're up the first baseline in a closet for a broadcast booth, <laughs> you never know whether the broadcast director for the Arizona Diamondbacks that afternoon happens to be dropping his kids off at school and might be listening. Uh, so I think that was the biggest change once I got there. Um, that I just started to treat it as if I was in the major leagues, even though, trust me, it is so very different. And I, there are so many moments where now um, I'm at Yankee Stadium or we're at Wrigley Field or especially at Fenway Park, which to me now that I've seen all these places, is still the best ballpark yeah. and the best place to call home. There are so many moments where, frankly, again, it's hard not to be emotional about it um, because you think about all the the 
work you've put in, the roads you've traveled. And then again, you know, back to this, sorry to be a little corny and cheesy, but it is, you know, it's a connection of, of parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles. And I get messages from my dad listening on our patio. Um, and and that, that makes me emotional, you know, to think about, I would not be where I am without the support that they gave me because you can't go through the minor leagues, frankly, without a little bit of help from home. And, and both my brother and I had that. So um, it, it, it's been a remarkable journey. And there's so many moments wherever we go in the big leagues where I'm sitting next to a Joe, a Red Sox Hall of Famer. Here comes Xander Bogarts in a, in a game at Yankee Stadium. And I, I'm the guy that they picked to call those moments or, or in Houston in the ALCS. I mean, it's just uh, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, you know, you've worked hard for it, but that doesn't mean that that it, it's not any more less surreal uh, when you're in those moments to be to be a part of something so big. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a really cool strategy to have. Of yes, this is a grind in the minors, but there could be that one person that's going to change it that's listening. I think that's really cool to hear that that was your approach because I'm sure you needed things to get you through. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't all you know uh, roses out there. I'm sure it wasn't all all dandy, but. <laughs> Um, I'm curious of when you got the Red Sox gig, like when you got the news and when you knew the magnitude of that, of I am now going to be with Joe Castiglione in at Fenway Park calling Red Sox games and how we're, we're homers. It just matters more getting this gig if you're getting some of the other gigs. So like, when did it hit you? Oh, I got it. And this is going to be nuts. Well, well, I mean, for me, even in the Red Sox world, it's been it, I, I always imagined that I would be, you know, finishing up a Pawtucket season and get a phone call and say, hey, Will, this is, you know, <laughs> the director for the name your team. And we want to hire you as our radio broadcaster. It didn't for me work quite that way. Um, you know, I had interviewed with the with EEI and with the Red Sox for the job um, right as sort of Tim Neverett's time was coming to a close. Um, but even that manifested itself in my first year in sort of a hybrid role, you know, where I did a lot of pregame, a little postgame. I think that year I probably did 40 or 50 games, but that was the year where we had like 75 people doing games. Um, and, and I just, again, I do think that going through the minor leagues, uh, forced me to, to look at the bright side of all of it. You know, it wasn't exactly what I wanted in that first year. But I just tried to make the most of, of my games, and it worked out. You know, I think I showed some personality in the pregame and postgame parts. And then in my games, um, you know, I had this great chemistry immediately with Joe. And that goes all the way back to the first game I ever did with him, which was, I think, July 30th, 2018, uh, if I'm not mistaken. The, the Phillies were there, and I, I filled in with Joe. And Aaron Nola was awesome, but the Red Sox won in extra innings. And it was one of those magical nights. And, and that was, to me, like the moment when it all – came into focus like how cool this thing could be where you're just sitting there at Fenway Park doing the thing you've dreamed about now for 15 20 years um and then as it developed you know then of course we have a COVID year and then we have a year where we're not traveling and we're doing games off monitors uh we finally got back on the road last year in the playoffs I you know in some ways this season is the first time that it has really manifested itself in the way that you dreamed it would where mm. you're there every day you're working with joe you're doing all the games you're on the team playing you're on the road um and 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 it's hard to sort of <laughs> not only wrap your head around it but to to put into words uh what that's like and and like you know we all <laughs> that that thursday three weeks ago when we honored joe for 40 years in the booth um 
I have again, I, I sound like such a softie, but like as they started <laughs> to play that video at Fenway Park, as as I've developed this relationship with Joe, I mean, he is as kind and generous a person and a partner and a friend as anyone could ever, ever dream of. As a first major league partner, I, he's just been so incredibly selfless to me. Uh, from the jump, he's been that way. I mean, you know, last year, as an example, it's a Sunday night baseball game at Yankee Stadium. And 10 minutes before the game, he's like, hey, Will, why don't you open the broadcast tonight? Do the first and, and, and close the game. You're like, Nobody in the sport does that. And he did yeah. the same thing. I had a game two of the American League Championship Series where we hit two grand slams in the first two innings. Um, <laughs> you know, and he's just done that over and over again. And watching the montage um, and the video and hearing all of his big calls and what he has meant to the people in New England and across the world who are Red Sox fans and to have his voice stamped to all those big and wonderful moments, you start to think about what it might look like for you to be a part of those moments. And that becomes totally overwhelming. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it, it just is so powerful because our fan base is the most passionate and our, our ballpark and our ownership. It's going to, you know, if you're in this chair, uh, it's almost inevitable that you are going to find yourself in those moments. Uh, and we got a little taste of that last year in the playoff run. And that, that was just insane. You know, I, I the, and, and that's the other part of it. You, you learn how to kind of meet some of these moments. Um, whether it's those grand slams or, you know, I'll never forget the three-run homer that Devers hit off McClanahan uh, in the clinching game of the of the divisional series. And and you listen back to those moments where, you know, five years prior, you probably wouldn't have been able to come and, and meet that moment. And to, to know that you, you did and you can um, is sort of another one of these milestones along the way. So, um, it, yeah, it's it's been a long process to get where we are today and not maybe as as black and white as i thought it would be but um i i wouldn't trade that journey nor uh the present for anything in the world one thing i'm very curious of and i'm glad you brought this up the meeting the moment uh concept is when i when a big play happens i'm now hoping you had it like I, i'm now <laughs> hoping like i hope will fleming had that play because now that's going to work great. We'll use the audio. It'll just work great in the show. Selfish reasons, of course. But also just for you, like I, I want you to get those big moments when it happens. Now, I want to dive into the exact. Let's say, let's take Christian Vasquez walk-off, for example. Let's say that's, yeah. so that happens and you are calling it. In real time, are you, is there a voice in your head saying, all right, don't, don't go too crazy, but you kind of have to go crazy but you can't be too soft here because this is a huge moment. Like, are you in real time saying, I got to be exactly where I need to be while also not fumbling words, right? I feel like there's a lot that probably goes through your head while everyone else is just like, oh, that's a home run. Like you're thinking, I got <laughs> to ma make this specific to the moment, authentic, don't stumble, don't be too high, too low. Is that all going through your head when it happens? Uh, not really. That's the cool thing about it, right? I mean, okay. yes, it's, it's in the backdrop and subconsciously, and it's something that I've, thought a lot about and messed around with along the way and even early on in my time in the big leagues probably you know didn't love it every time but I think one thing Steve that I think has really helped me in those moments is what's really cool about it is you just have this crystal focus where you just allow yourself to be right in that moment um, and then I think you kind of go on autopilot and I think that that's why that's why I try not to script anything. I, I never want to think about what I will say in a moment because I think the moment 
will will kind of tell you what where to go and what to say. Um, and so that it's very hard to describe what happens in those moments, like you know the Vasquez home run or the Franchi grand slam early this year. Again, those slams in the ALCS. You start to, th- especially in those end of game moments, uh, it's different early in a game, right? Where that it can happen at any moment, but it doesn't decide the game. I think yeah. it's a totally different emotion when you're in the ninth inning, you're in extra innings, and you know in that moment that if something happens right here, this thing's over, this place is going to be going crazy, and and what a magical thing that will be. And so I think in that moment, you ju- I, what I try to do is just kind of slow down a little bit more um, and then just let the moment be the moment and not overdo it, not overscript anything. But I, th- I think you owe it to the moment to, to get a little wilder than you normally would. Um, yeah. and, and, but, but of course, that, that means its own thing. You don't, to your point, <laughs> you don't want to go crazy and scream your head off and lose like, your Will mind. Will was but going th- nuts. Yeah, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> but, but I do think you do need to. It needs to sound much different than a fourth inning home run in May. Um, and that's been, a, that's been a process of trying to get to that place where you can do it. I, do you watch quick pitch at all? I do. So I think that's a great example. What you just said is exactly how I watch quick pitch if it's a Red Sox game. You calling a home run in the second inning is not going to match the walk-off, which is probably how it should be, and I'm sure that's the mentality you have. I love how they they cut that, by the way. I'm sure you do, too. It's like, this is great. Every time I get my name on there and all that, that's <laughs> awesome. But like, it's, I, it's a different way to watch a highlight, and I think it's sometimes a lot better for a baseball fan because it puts you right in – uh, the stadium, which you oh yeah, and I mean, I, I, yeah, and I think it, by the way, it's a great resource for us too, because in yeah. thirty minutes you can see what happened in an entire day of big league baseball. I mean, it has the added benefit that yeah, you you might pop on a few highlights, and that's really and I like listening to how other people do it, you know, themselves. Because yeah. one thing I, I I feel really strongly about is to do this thing, you have to be yourself. I mean, you just have to be true to who you are. It would sound so phony if I were trying to be Vin Scully or Joe Castiglione or my brother or Dave O'Brien or anybody, John Miller, who I grew up listening to. I mean, you take pieces from all of them, but I think at the end of the day, you gotta be who you are. Uh, And that's not just on the big moments, that's in all the stuff in between, you know, choosing what stories to tell, what numbers to highlight, all that sort of stuff. But I love listening to the way that other people, and and it's, it's really fun when, I, I have a lot of friends now in the in the game, and to hear them nail big moments. I mean, it's something we all kind of go back and forth. And man, I love that Joe, John John Sadak, the radio uh, the TV voice for the Reds. Man, you nailed that Votto call. That was unbelievable. Or Kevin Brown with the Orioles. On and on. I mean, we kind of when I hear something that I like from one of my friends, it's really fun to be able to just kind of go back and forth. And it, it's uh, it's such an honor to be a be a voice on that show. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think it crushed it. Sox highlight comes up. I'm like, oh, here we go. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> um, so I, I know you mentioned Castigs and, and how gracious he is and how great your relationship has been. What's something that you've learned about Joe Castiglione that you had no idea about before you guys started working together? <laughs> you mean on or off the air? <laughs> uh, probably off is better, I would assume. <laughs> I, he loves Shaw's and Star Market. I'm sure we he already know that, but Shaw's. that's on the air. <laughs> you know, I would say this. Like, the one thing that I – that I, first of all, on the air, he's so prepared. He's so meticulous. He After 40 years, every day, he's into it every day. There's no bitterness. There's no unhappiness. He never complains. He gives the same spirit to it. And I think that's something we, we should all emulate. I think off the air, one of the things that I love having seen from Joe now that we travel together is that – 
what he does on the road is is something that I'll always admire. And I think I'm going to try to emulate, which is I think so many people get so bogged down in the road and the, the stress of the, the schedule. And you can kind of go from ballpark to ballpark and airplane to airplane and hotel and just all the cities blend together. Joe refuses to let that happen. Like we are on kayaks in Tampa. We are at the Negro League Museum in Kansas City. We are riding bikes along the path in Newport Beach. We're going to the Clemente Museum in Pittsburgh. Uh, and I think, and, and as a result, not only does it, it you know, enrich his experiences on the road uh, and informs his ability to tell stories on the air, but that it's also developed this network of friendships on the road in baseball, which is unbelievable. Like he knows... Bob Kendrick, like a very dear, close friend, the president of the Negro League Museum is a close friend of his. And so is the guy who runs the best Italian restaurant in Detroit, you know, and and, and I think that's such a neat way to go about it. He, he is he truly is a renaissance man uh, in that way. And um, it, it's just so fun to, to be along on that journey um, and, and to be back on the road with him this year. I've just tried to absorb all that stuff. That that is some range there to have the Italian restaurant owner and then the Negro Leagues uh, leader. <laughs> I mean, that's this guy does it all. Um, one thing I was curious of, and I actually don't know the answer to this, is I saw a clip of you in Remdog uh, that they were showing on the TV broadcast, and I was curious how much time uh, you spent with Ness. So you were filling in with Ness, and what was what was that yeah. about? Because I honestly I don't remember that. Yeah, it was in the year that um, they were trying out people to fill in when Dave was going to go do more football. Um, okay. And I and three people, including Mike Monaco, who ended up getting the gig, yeah. uh, filled in for for a couple weekend series. Um, and those were some of the most fun times I've had. And, you know, uh, everybody knows what a big hole exists in Red Sox Nation with Jerry. Um, for those of us who got to talk to him every day and see him every day, it's even it, you feel it even more deeply. Um, and, you know, I, those games, they were such a big opportunity for me um, that the tape from from those games has gotten me other opportunities. But more than that, the opportunity, the chance to do Red Sox games was like a thrill and a dream come true. And I hope that I can down the road do more of them. Mm. Um, I, I, we were on the airplane to Tampa and uh, Mike Narachi, then the director of Red Sox baseball, came back to me. He still is, right? Is he still doing? Yeah, that? he's yeah, he's taken more of like a, an executive role, you know, okay. overseeing things. Um, but he came up back to my my plane aisle and said, "Come up front, Jerry wants to talk to you." And this is the night before we do the games, and uh, I sit down and Jerry pours me a glass of wine and he says, "Will." I want you to just be you tomorrow. And I know you're probably nervous about this, but I want this to go well for you. And so we're going to do the show that you want to do. Relax. I'm going to make it great for you and we'll have fun. And for him to do that and take that time and have the sincerity and, and presence of mind to know that here I am going into this, just quite nervous about it and wanting to have a great opportunity. Um, I was, was just an amazing thing for him to do. And then, the night that my first game happened, he did exactly that. And what was amazing is until you're on air with him, you know, we all have seen all the clips with Don mm. and Dave, whether it's here comes the pizza or whatever. <laughs> I mean, the first game, Jerry is standing on a cardboard box 
talking about how he ha- feels like he's my little brother looking up at me and he's <laughs> now trying to stand on a chair and see the top of my head and bonking his head on the rafters and the lights and then we come back from a break and he posts me up like a basketball play <laughs> and we're laughing about that and he just couldn't have been more gracious and unbelievable to work with and and you know again on air once you see somebody at work you understand how great they really are and Jerry saw everything in a game um and we had fun we we, i thought they were really good shows and i was really proud of the the games we did together but just the personal side and i I was really happy that i i i I pulled him aside like a few weeks before what ended up being his last game and i just told him how much it meant to me um and and how kind and generous he was and and that he didn't have to do that but he he welcomed me into that booth like i'd been there for 10 years and that's something that has meant a, a lot to me and also, yeah, that I had think, to be, yeah, that had to be cool that you were able to do that, right? I mean, I, mm. I got to figure, just like you have a moment and and to appreciate it had to be nice. Oh sure, I mean, and they were fun games. The Red Sox lost both the games, but they were they were walk off close, tight games. Mitch yeah. Moreland hit a couple big home runs, and and the big moments were were good for me. And yeah, I mean, and the reach of it. I mean, I, listen, we have um, so many people listening to us on radio. When you do the games on TV, it is, uh, you know, it's sort of a, an exponential. Uh, bump in eyeballs and people are, are watching and paying attention to what you're doing. So, mm. yeah, that was another one of those things. Wait a minute, you're doing the Red Sox games on TV. It, you just kind of have to pinch yourself. Yeah, and I think you put it uh, a great way at the beginning there, saying there there's a hole in, in Red Sox Nation. You know, it's there. It, it We all miss Jerry uh, a lot. And I, obviously, I never got the uh, opportunity to work with him, obviously, but not even, not even to meet him. Uh, but all amazing stories. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, I wanted to pick your brain about, I think you're really good at balancing, uh, relationships with players and also being or feeling comfortable enough to be critical of them. How do you kind of find that balance in that line where you can, you know, say what you think and, and point out, uh, shortcomings maybe like lack of effort sometimes from some people and still maintain relationships with these guys and and feel like you haven't crossed the line with them i think the two are really really interconnected joey and what i've always thought about it is that you first of all in our market more than any other place i just think people are not going to take it if you're not authentic and don't tell them what they're seeing themselves i mean it just it doesn't work in boston if the team is playing poorly to act like it's all peaches and cream. I just don't think that works. Um, I try not to be critical of players as much as I try to just be fair and tell the truth. And I think that one thing I always want to do is be available and accountable to them. So like I'm down there all the time talking to guys and around. And I think if you're gonna, I've always just thought, I mean, think about this. I make my living talking about what other people do in the hardest sport to play in the world. And so while I think it's important to say, well, that wasn't a very good play or they, this, this should have been handled better. um, Or that's not a real good look. What this player said after that play, which we've had more of this year than ever before, you have to say that in our market. Um, But you also have to be there to be willing to talk to them and ask them what they thought, what they saw and what they think about those moments uh, because otherwise that, you're just taking pot shots. And, and I, do, I do not think that's the right way to go about it. Um, so I, I, thanks for saying that. I mean, I, 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 I value that part of it. I, you know, I want to be able to have relationships with players. 
Um, I, I want to develop those bonds because I, you know, first of all, I think the job of a major league broadcaster is to tell people things that they can't read on the internet or in the newspaper or that they haven't heard before. Like, I, I swear to you guys, I've opened a media guide this year like five times. I yeah. just, I, that's just not something that I do. I mean, sure. You'll, you'll look at like a little backdrop for somebody that before a game to, you know, get a picture of what they're, who they are, where they come from. But I, I think you guys probably know listening to the way I do games. I'm, I'm not the guy who's talking about how tall somebody is, where they went to college, you know, the hitting streak in the mind. I, I just don't think people care about that. And I know I don't. And so I'm more interested in what guys are thinking this year, what they're working on. I'm, I'm around the cage during batting practice trying to figure out, you know, what, what their swing looks like, how they're feeling at the plate. What they're, we have so many people this year who are, you know, playing new positions. Um, and I want to hear what those – you know, developments are like how they feel uh, working at first base for the first time or, or Jeter Downs. You've never played third base as a pro before. If I'm going to tell him or say to our fans on the air that the ball he lets play behind the third base bag and clank off it and produces five runs in that inning, I want to ask him, well, what, buddy, you know, how, how is it to play pro ball for the first time to be a third baseman? I just think you have to do that. I think that's a really important part of, of being fair and accountable um, and I, again, I, you can't, I, I want the Red Sox to win all of our lives and worlds are better when they win. And, and I think our fans know that in listening to me do games, I'm happier when the Red Sox are doing well, because more people are going to be listening. The games are going to be more meaningful. The crowd's going to be more into it. The radio station's going to make more money and all that's good. You know, rising tides lift all boats. And I, that is a fact in our business, but you have to be fair too. Uh, so I want it to go great every night when we go on the air. I don't want to go over the top and be critical. That's just not going to be the guy that I am. But uh, again, in Boston in particular, I think you guys would agree that uh, people are just not going to take it well if if every night the sun is bright and and the team is you know we're tw- the Red Sox were twelve and twenty nine going into last night's ball game. You, you can't come on the air saying, "Well, you know, the ch- this is the time to turn it around." The, you know, the, they're, they're right in this thing mathematically. You just, I just don't. I think that's phony. I don't think that plays anywhere, most especially in Boston. Uh, that's, I think that, they also. Yeah, that's yeah, I think when times are tough too, I think uh, you you and Joe do a good job of kind of steering away from focusing too much on the bad. Sometimes too, there was a, a ninth inning, uh, maybe maybe a week or two ago. I was sitting in my car with all of them. I know. <laughs> and uh, you and Joe were talking about a roast beef sandwich. In, in, yeah. in the ninth <laughs> inning. And I was like, yeah, it is one of those nights, boys. You're right. It is a good yeah, roast beef sandwich is. conversation and, night. You know, and I think another thing that my brother always said was, you know, you, you tell the truth. You tell people what's going on, but you don't really need to editorialize too much. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. say what you've seen in front of you. But I think particularly, you know, we've had too many of these games lately, whether it was the 28-5 or whatever. There have been a lot of them in the last couple of months. I mean, is it important to just keep beating a dead horse? I don't think so. I mean, tell people what they're seeing. But, uh, you know, again, the other part of this is Red Sox fans are passionate. They want the team to do well. They're, They're pissed off when the team is losing. And I think in particular, not doing the right things base running mistakes, defensive. I get that. People are angry about that. And I think you have to sort of reflect that a little bit. But by the same token, people are at the beach and on their backyard, you know, like having a drink. I, I don't think they really – the world is is crazy and negative enough around all of us. You can't turn on the TV without, 
you know, feeling stress in other areas of the world that I think it's baseball at the end of the day. And everybody understands Red Sox fans are as passionate and into this thing as anybody. And I love that. That's good for all of us. But I don't I don't think we need to belabor it to the point that, you know, ad nauseum over and over again, you're you're talking about all the bad that has gone on. Only got a couple more for you, Will. Thank you so much for being generous with your time today. Um, this year has been a roller coaster. This has been an absolute roller coaster. It was, you know, the beginning was terrible. Recently, it's been terrible. The middle was nice. Uh, but the Red Sox are coming off a series sweep of a hey, playoff baby. team, and they <laughs> knocked them right out of playoff contention. That's how bad they beat them. So what realistically, and, and Joey and I obviously, like you mentioned, it's better if the Sox are playing playing well. It's better for business. It's better just for the mentality, the vibes around Fenway if they're in the playoff hunt. What do you think is their most realistic chance of making the postseason, their most realistic path? Well, I mean, <laughs> it's clearly one of the wild cards, right? I mean, that, that goes yeah. without saying. Um, they've just got to start. To me, you know, we, for a long time now, it's been so many ifs. You know, if Kike comes back, if Trevor Story comes back, if Waka and Hill come back, and maybe you reshuffle some of the bullpen, maybe somebody like Rich Hill or Brian Bayo, they solidify the bullpen. Because to me, that continues to be the enduring concern. Um, and we're recording this on a Friday after that, after that Orioles sweep. Uh, the one game series win. Uh, but last night was another example of it where we all saw that Josh Winkowski ran out of gas in the, after the fifth inning. And I think if the Red Sox have a deep uh, and reliable bullpen, he's not on the mound for the sixth inning where they score three runs. And so that to me is the, the number one enduring concern. You ask me all these hypotheticals about what's their best path in, and it is getting healthy and re-solidifying the rotation. Obviously the freakish injuries that continue to happen to Chris Sale. I mean, it's just hard to believe how, how star-crossed he's been. And that's a huge, you know, real blow to their chances to make a, a real deep run, I think. Um, but just to get in and, and have some fun here these last couple months, I think that, you know, JD's got to be much better. Uh, Bogarts, I think, is starting to turn a corner a little bit. The big hitters have got to get back and healthy and do it. Uh, the bullpen just got to find a way to be better. To me, that's it, it just way too often over the last few weeks, you're in a game, you have a close lead and it, it vanishes or it's a one run game and you got the big hitters coming up and all of a sudden you give up three runs and it's a four run deficit and the wind is just taken totally out of your sails. So like to me, that's the that was the big disappointment of the trade deadline is that for whatever reason, the cost was too high or they weren't able to to bring in a couple more bullpen arms. But I think that goes back to spring training. All of us who were around this team knew that you needed to add a little bit more to the bullpen. And I think that that really has played itself out in this season because you look at what Tommy Pham and Eric Hosmer are doing. I mean, they keyed the win last night and they've both been really, really good. It yeah. is a lot like Schwarber and Robles last year where you add and you can get a real lift from these guys. I just think it's a shame that they weren't able to add or interested in adding a couple more solidified bullpen arms. Because if that had happened, uh, you, it's a much easier you know, conversation and, and sale to me to say, uh, no pun intended, that this team can make a real push. Let's go. Uh, we'll go on a real good run. Uh, it, the, the bottom line is guys in that bullpen, people are going to have to step up. And, and maybe it's Matt Barnes who's had a couple encouraging ones here. Uh, or maybe Salamora finds something. You know, the new delivery, the better stuff. Uh, but the bullpen needs to get better for this thing to have any real chance of ending where all of us want it to end. 
Last question for you, Will. You were a big supporter of the Rally Cups movement uh, last yes. year. I, I want to obviously, and I've told you this personally, but I, I very much appreciated how much you cared about it and genuinely <laughs> understood the power of it. Yes. Um, you were you were the first one like on air to do it. You would, see that's the thing. Like if you're a fan, you know some of the listeners of the show. Ah, you know you can have the. But you you were the first like you know legit person that was eating Reese's peanut butter cups <laughs> during the post. I know TC and Jim Rice hopped up, but you were the first one to do it. So did you believe that these Reese's had an impact on what was going on in the field? Because I think the answer is obviously yes. But I want your thoughts on that. You're damn right I did. I mean, first of all, <laughs> I, when I see you walking around in a dopey Reese's cup costume, I feel like I got to do something to pull my yeah. weight a little bit, you know. Uh, and, but I, I, what's so funny is, you know, we I, I bought a big bag going down to Tampa um, because I, I you started the thing in the uh, in the wild card round. And, I you know, it went into so many games leading into that. I started to pick it up in the playoffs. And, you know, I, in that game, too, in Tampa, after they give up the Grand Slam and you go, oh, my goodness, I, I opened up a Reese's Cup and here we go. Here comes the offense. We're going. So, you know, the, the karmic gods of the universe were telling me this is a real thing. <laughs> And I kept sending you all these pictures because I was rationing them. You know, as the yeah. Red Sox went on this smart. big run, I, I, I just had to save some of them. So I had the whole bag for the for that playoff run. And it, what's so funny is I wish I had my backpack by me right now. I have one left. I left <laughs> one in the bag from last year, and I'm saving it for a big moment this year to see if, uh, you know, we can swing the, the karmic tides in the Red Sox favor. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I that was such a fun thing that you sparked with the Red Sox and uh, – I, I love that kind of stuff. It's just a way to, you know, have a little bit more fun and, and, and um, you know, take some of the pressure away from some of those big playoff moments. What would What's your logic now for that last one? Because you don't want to use it in the wrong moment, right? Yeah, I'm waiting. I'm waiting until, you know, the Red Sox maybe have a, you know, a one or a two game deficit in this wild card race, get hot, okay. uh, maybe have one of these big divisional series, or maybe, you know, you're playing Tampa. Uh, mm. we, have, we have a lot of Rays coming up here uh, in the last few weeks of the season. So, uh, I didn't use it in Tampa or Houston last year. I'm waiting on that one big moment. Uh, you know, maybe Devers steps to the plate or something, and I, I unwrap it. And if if and when that happens, you 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 can bet that I'll, I'll you'll be the first to know about it, and I will I'll tell our listeners all about it. All right, perfect. That's we'll be waiting on that moment. I mean, I just I just love that you were bringing that bag with you. That was on flights to Tampa, Houston. It was. That was it was going everywhere. I was like, well, it was blessed right, by the team too, right? I mean, yes. I wanted those cups to be around the guys. You know, they come on. <laughs> you, they have to be. They have to you know shed their light on the players that are actually between the lines, impacting the games. Oh, that was that was perfect. Will Fleming, thank you so much for joining us. This was great. I'm sure you know. We'll obviously see you at Fenway a lot. Um, but hopefully these guys can make a run, right? Hopefully they can get in the mid. I know four and a half, you feel like you're kind of on the outside looking in, but I think they still got a run left in them. Hopefully that happens. We'll see. I, I think so too. Thanks guys for having me on. I, I always love listening. It's an honor to be with you guys. And I, you know, look, the thing about it is the Red Sox went to Kansas city and then they came home and they've scuffled with the Braves. You look at the standings and this remains as true today as it did five days ago. If they just win four or five in a row, they're right there. They're in. They're one game back where they're in. So I think that that's possible. And I do think that once, if something like that happens, you know, say you have a good series against the Yankees and then you go to Pittsburgh and handle your business there. And not, by the way, the Orioles are get a lot, they get a lot of credit for what they've done, but they're, they're gettable. Uh, so mm. you go to Camden Yards and you handle them all of a sudden, I think, you know, like a week from Sunday after that game in Williamsport, this does lay out as a stretch uh, where you could really make a run and get back in this thing. Because after that, it's Rays and Jays and Yankees and all these great teams. So 
You need to, to finally get hot and get some of these guys back. Uh, but yeah, as I said, I, you know that I'm hoping that happens desperately because it's just so much more fun to be at Fenway and to, to talk to our people uh, when the Red Sox are right there. I'm excited to see when you're going to eat that Reese's. Will, we will talk to you <laughs> very soon. Take care. Thanks, guys. A big thank you to Will Fleming for hopping on the program. We were trying to line this one up for a little bit and very excited we were able to have him on. Will is great. It's great seeing him at the park. I know down there in the field, there's always a couple people that you're not trying to dodge, but that you're like, eh, I don't really, you know, don't need to talk to so-and-so. But then you see Will, you're like, nice. Will's here. Like this is, hey. This, hey, what's up? This is fun. You're so tall. But yeah, he's great. And gave us some great answers. And I'm I'm just happy that he's on the team. Will was super nice. I I had um when I got this this gig, Joey, mm-hmm. one of the first people to text me was Will. And mm-hmm. he was super nice and was just, you know, very excited that you're you're part of the team and just welcomed me. And he didn't have to do that. And I, I was very happy that he did that. Um, but yeah, it, it's just nice to see somebody that you really respect in this field. That's a good dude because it's not always the case. It's not always. And I'm not talking with the sock, just in general, in this profession, there can sure. be people you look up to and then you're like, oh, they actually seem like maybe they're not the best <laughs> as a <laughs> as a person. Um, yeah. But Will is great. And I'm just happy that he's the guy that works with Castigs and that calls the games. Because, you know, like we mentioned in the interview, mm-hmm. that when you watch Quick Pitch or when we're going to look to use a call on this show, you hope Will has it. Hundred percent. Yeah, he's a good dude. I didn't get the chance to tell him in the interview, but I am going to practice my Spanish with him. I'm not going to okay. ask him if it's okay. I'm not going to say, "Hey, do you mind if we uh, take it easy?" I mean, I just know he's a good enough guy where I'm like, oh, I can just like stumble and fumble my way through this foreign language, and he's going to be nice enough to me and help me out. How like cool that. is that? That he just like went and learned uh, Spanish. Just like on his own, like before Especially baseball. The way just wanted- he said it when he was just like, I, if I'm not mistaken, he, he said it this way, where he had a good understanding of Spanish. He was then recommended to take a course abroad or essentially to exist, to exist abroad, right? In a Spanish speaking country. Yeah, I think and he called then- it an immersion course. Okay, that word's too big for me. And then six he, like, weeks. Immersed himself in the land. Only speak Spanish for the time. Yeah, like perfect. That makes more sense. You dumbed it down. I understand now. <laughs> six weeks in, and he's speaking fluent Spanish. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, Joey. Six weeks is. I think he was already in college. Okay, uh, majoring in Spanish literature after I don't having know if it was high school or college because that's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. I think he said. I think him and I did the same thing in high school. If I'd have remembered him. I think I remember him saying that he took five years of Spanish over four years of high school, which okay. is what I did to like sneak in a, a, a Spanish uh, summer in there yeah. just to yeah. try to get better. Yeah. Uh, but the immersion thing is very cool and, and cool that, you know, for if you're a player coming up, who's, uh, you know, Spanish is your first language and you don't speak English yet. And maybe you're like tentative on like taking on learning a new language while also trying to be one of the best baseball players in the world like the highest caliber of athlete there is and you don't really have time to like learn another language it's nice that there's just like a dude there who like you know went out of his way to learn the language 
goes out of his way to speak the language to people who are more comfortable speaking it. Like just a just a nice move, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think it was funny too that he acknowledged, yeah, I'm exactly the guy that you would think does not know Spanish. <laughs> like I am not the yeah. dude that you would think is fluent in this language, but I'm sure he's gotten some, and he even confirmed that he's gotten some hilarious reactions from players of like, how the hell does this guy know my language and says it fluently? But uh, yeah, shout out to Will Fleming. I remember uh, it was senior year of high school and I realized for, it was Spanish five and it was Mm -hmm. like, no English will be said in this class. Everything you write has to be fully in Spanish. Everything you say has to be fully in Spanish. And I was like, adios. See what I did there? (laughs) Horrible. <laughs> my body's rejecting that one i know Ugh. you just literally died no. i was like see you later no no i was like adios hasta la vista baby yeah adios amigos that's, and then and that's and all i dipped. had that's all i knew yeah and i just got out of there mm-hmm. but um yeah i was able to do senior year drama class instead uh, oh, nice. which is great i didn't know that i did a lot of improv in high school yeah nice nice i didn't realize we're cut from the same cloth you and i steve would you look at well, that I mean, both my brothers were like big into the the acting stuff, and they're still doing it. Right. So it's, yeah, I mean, they live in Los Angeles, and they're both like in the film. Yeah, they're like in TV stuff. shows. <laughs> it's like yeah. making them or in them. But yeah, yeah, it is. It see, is funny. What's did up? You see Rafi the other day doing some more English? Yeah. I, so, question for you on this. We'll we'll close with this. Mm-hmm. I think, and I'm trying not to be part of the problem here. I think if I were to guess. Raffi mm. is a little bit tired of the bit, not the bit, but like the being reminded, you know, English so much. Cause in his head, he's like, I effing know that I know English. Like you don't need to like remind me that I know English. I speak it in the club, but like, like Brian Almonte told us mm-hmm. guys in the clubhouse talking English all the time. So, mm-hmm. and I'm part of the problem. Cause I, I do a thing at all star every year, but like, I, I think well, it was uh, what Eduardo Perez, I believe. Uh, I think so. Yeah, it was follows me on Twitter. Questions. Not a big deal. What's up? Follows me on Twitter. Not a big deal. Oh, same. Not a big deal. And he was asking the questions, and Rafi was giving him, you know, some answers. And I, I think he's probably at the point now where it's like, yeah, you know, we all know I know, but I'm more comfortable speaking Spanish. But Joey, that's not going to prevent me from uh, asking a question in Spanish next year and being like, no. hey, you know English? Well, no, blah. of course. I think you should. I don't. I don't know if. I don't know if he's tired of. It. I think he's having a good time every day, tired no matter what. I think it would right. take. I think it would take a lot to get him down. And when I hear Rafi speak English, dude, that makes me a mm. happy guy. <laughs> that was very well done. <laughs> Thanks. Mm. Happy guy. It is funny. You can tell. Oh, was about Hosmer, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy guy. <laughs> you would give me a hundred ways to describe Eric Hosmer. I don't think I'm going a happy guy. I mean, he doesn't seem unhappy, but it's just kind of funny to, I would say Arroyo is a happy guy. Arroyo's a happy guy. Yeah. yeah. Hosmer's a ball player. Yeah. I think it's also like, man, I've known him for a week and we don't really speak the same language. So I know. <laughs> give me a minute. I don't really know. Interactions. I don't know. Like I see him smiling. I don't know. He seems happy. <laughs> happy guy. Is that, does that work? Is that good enough? But yeah, that, that part was pretty funny, but that'll, that'll do it for the Will Fleming interview episode shout out to will for doing this next you will hear from us is recapping oh. this pirates red Sox series joey has a oh what's up sorry 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 it's episode 48 dude did i say 47 means, no 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 no. i'm just saying it's the michael felice episode of course how could i forget it is the javi lopez episode 
Jim Tatum episode, uh, John Henry Johnson, and of course, it's the Pablo Sandoval episode. Oh God, can we bleep that? <laughs> yeah, sorry, I won't say I won't say that again. Sorry, that was gross. Uh-huh. Uh, Ramon Martinez. It's the it's Pedro's mm-hmm. brother episode. There we go. That that definitely works. Um, but yeah, until we meet again, Joey, until we meet again after this Pirates Red Sox series. Oh, I wanted to say one thing because I didn't get this. I didn't get this into the preview. Oh, the Pirate, like how little the Red Sox yeah, have played. They the Pirates. never play the Pirates like ever. So last time they were there was 2014. Red Sox had a three gamer and they got swept by the Pirates. Oh, they were actually good then. That's when they were like had McCutcheon and everything. Then in 2011, Sox won one out of three. Sox are not good in Pittsburgh. And then 2003, they actually won the series in 2003. They won two nice. out of three. And if I'm not mistaken, Joey, if I'm not mistaken, that's when they wore the throwbacks that I've been wanting them to wear for so damn long with the Red Sox. Sox. <clears throat> Yeah, it's like the 1903, right? Was it like the 100 year? That would make sense. That would make sense. And Joey, it had been All right, I'm putting these all together. You just kind of sped it up for me in a in a good way. I am realizing why they wore those jerseys cuz it was the 100 year anniversary of the last time they played the Pirates. How wild That's, is that? Wait, 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 wait. Not just in Pittsburgh, like in general, they didn't in play general, for 100 years. They didn't Wait, how the They hell didn't play that? for 100 years? They hadn't until June 4th, 2003, the Red Sox hadn't played the Pirates. What? In a hundred years? It was from, all right, here's ever. Were the Pirates around in 03? Yeah, it was the 03 World Series. Pirates, Red Sox, 2000, or 2000, Pirates, Red Sox, 1903 World Series. The Red Sox. Uh, looks like swept the Pirates. Are they one? Oh, they okay. The Red Sox lost the. This is a terrible way of describing that the Red Sox won in seven. <laughs> Red Sox won the 1903 World Series in seven games. Weird to think that the Pirates have been around for like wait. 120 years. That Joey, that doesn't wait. feel right. My mind. The name wait. Pirates sounds like a team that was like made in the 70s or 80s. You know. I know they. I know they have a longer franchise than that, like a longer history than that. I understand Honus Wagner. Like I get it. I know that they do have a lot of history, but yeah. it just feels like just from the name, it sounds like an expansion team that was put in in like the late '80s. If I'm, if I'm reading this correctly, I think I'm mm-hmm. about to lose my mind. I think I remember hearing this stat, but it's just like it disappeared out of my brain at some point. If I'm not mistaken, Joey. Mm-hmm. The Red Sox Pirates 1903 World Series was eight games. Why? Why? Why, <laughs> Why would that be the case? All right. Game one. Wait, are you sure? The Pirates won seven to three. Game two, Red Sox win three to nothing. Game three, Pirates win four to two. Game four, Pirates win five to four. Game five, Red Sox win 11 to two. Mm-hmm. Game six, Sox win six to three. Game seven, Sox win seven to three. For those keepers, right, it's over. over. The Red Sox have four wins. The Pirates have three. And then and they decide another, we got to play one more of these. There was another game three days later where the Red Sox won three to nothing. 
Oh, wait. okay. So yeah, wait. I'm looking at it. It's a best of nine series. It was a best five of nine. Wow. Yeah. How long did they do that? Uh, you know, great question. No clue. That's wild. I think I knew that at some point, but it definitely a best of nine. Oh, Steve, here's a little trivia for you. Um, where were the uh, the old Boston Americans playing at that time? The Boston American. It was probably Huntington Avenue grounds. Sure was. Yeah. You're looking at the thing. I was like, wow. I didn't think Steve would know that. I did not know that. No chance. But that's crazy. Yeah. That, that is, is weird. That is a little weird. That. But yeah, I, I guess I'm just putting all this together. So the Red Sox won a best of nine World Series against the Pirates in 1903. And then they didn't play them for a hundred years. <laughs> and then they took a hundred years off. They took a, they were like, guys, work wild for doing a best of nine. Let's just take a hundred years off and we'll see you back here in 03. Yeah, we'll we'll see you here once Justin Timberlake goes solo. <laughs> yeah, that's what they were saying. And I we'll see you back here when Justin Timberlake goes solo. That's and everyone left saying. going, I don't know what that means, but that's, no that sounds exciting. Yeah. Uh, I, a little bit of uh, Pirates news here. This is like actually like timely. And relevant. Called I mean, Pirates news. Yeah. Pirates news. Um, it won't be all too new by the time you hear this, but uh, uh, Rodolfo Castro, the dude who whose phone like fell out of his pocket. Yeah. Uh, he's suspended for game one of this series for, oh, okay. for the cell phone thing. Yeah, he deserves that. Yeah, he get him out of here. That. Can't be doing that. I'm trying to see what else. Oh, wow. Okay. So what they agreed to, Joey, and this is a fact. Yeah. What the Red Sox and Pirates agreed to in 1903 is that they wouldn't meet up again until Apple launched iTunes. And then they're like, all right, once iTunes is launched, we'll play another series. We'll play when I can. It sounds like a when pigs fly kind of thing. They're like, yeah, we'll play again when I can fit 10,000 songs in my pocket. <laughs> yeah, that's when we'll be back. That's yeah. when we'll return. And Apple was like, hold my beer. Here we go. Sox Pirates, y'all got to play each other. Well, hey, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll play you guys when MJ retires. All right. When he's actually done playing. Oh, okay. 2003. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds good. What was going on in 1903, huh? No world wars yet. Oh, yeah. Um, things in 1903. Gosh, I would imagine like um, jazz music was the cat's meow. I would Historical imagine. events in 1903. Was that, was that Honus? Was Honus <laughs> back then? The first thing that pops up, Topsy the <laughs> Elephant, the elephant is electrocuted. <laughs> <gasps> that was 03? I could. Dude, I would have guessed like oh seven. It's an elephant being electrocuted in in New York. What are we doing like for for fun? What was this? I don't know. Was it like the World's Fair? Was the World's Fair in 03? Baseball's National and American Leagues make peace. Wow, that happened in early 1903. They had been at war up until then. Montreal HC beats Winnipeg Victorias in the Stanley Cup for a two one series win. They were playing. A best two of three. But what was up with the, the best World of, Series was a best yeah, of nine? The series numbers were all over the place in 1903. They were still figuring out a lot of stuff back then, man. I think we still thought cigarettes were good for you. So we had a lot of learning to do. Yeah, this is... What else do we have here? American Hotels open in Amsterdam. That's a big deal. 
The seventh Boston something Marathon. bigger than that, dude. That Boston sounds like nothing. going around. That's crazy. Dude, Boston how Marathon. on earth? How on earth, Steve? How on earth did you Google things that happened in 1903 and not see that that's when the Wright brothers invented the airplane? Yeah, Wright how brothers. Is that invent- not the well, first this is going. This is going beginning. like week by week, Joey. This isn't going by like most important. Go with most important. I don't care what happened in January versus February. Change the settings here. <laughs> they invented a plane. Imagine who was on the first planes. Like I know well, the right. I think brothers, it was the right brother. I think not, they did. I, it. I don't mean. I don't mean that. I know it's. But I'm saying like, who were the first passengers? Like, yeah, sounds good. Let's let's get let's up in go. the sky and just go that way. Nuts, dude. Absolutely. So you got to be a psycho to be like, we're gonna get there via air. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm seeing the elephant photos now. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's a nightmare. Sorry. That, yeah. I'm glad I wasn't alive in 1903, dude. I would not have gotten on a plane and I would have had to watch this elephant get, get electrocuted for no reason. Was it no reason? Did they just decide that'd be cool? It probably was talking some trash or something. I don't know. Um, it is wild, though. So basically, in summary, what we're trying to say here is that it's a crazy, 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 two crazy baseball things. One, that the 1903 World Series was a best of nine, and that the Pirates and Red Sox just agreed, we're going to wait 100 years until we play each other again. That is bizarre. I believe the team the Red Sox have played the fewest, because Joey and I were trying to figure that out after we recorded on Sunday, is the Diamondbacks, which isn't overly stunning. This team hasn't been around a lot. You don't play the NL West much, so... The Reds, though, I think were before this season the team they played the fewest. And Which now is nuts because those are like the longest franchises, the oldest franchises in the game. So yeah. That yeah. is that is pretty strange. So, yeah, that'll do it for the Will Fleming episode. Anyway, uh, Will Fleming. <laughs> shout out to Will. We will be back again soon. But until then, for Joey Capone, I am Steve Peralt. Go Sox Kid. Inside the Monster is a production of Odyssey in partnership with the Boston Red Sox. The show is produced by me, Steve Peralt. Our executive producer is Lena Glazer, mixing and video editing by Joey Capone. Special thanks to the Red Sox and Major League Baseball for their contributions to the production of this podcast. (laughs) 